Welcome to episode 114 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty guys, so welcome along to episode 114 of Iron Man Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. It's, uh, well, it's cold and dark in Christchurch right now and I'm in Iron Man Talk Studios by myself and John's somewhere in Europe. I think he's still in Italy, but you know what, I don't really know where the boy is. Iron Man Talk is proudly brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii for all your great coffee needs, uh, trybuys.com for all your equipment needs and flinks.com for all your social networking needs this week's show is going to be a little bit shorter john managed to get a couple interviews together on uh epic camp italy now to be honest john you know you'll probably listen to this at some stage mate you should have sharpened up would you get four interviews over the whole camp you know how many did i do in new zealand <laughs> but anyway uh so i'm just going to chuck those on pretty much now just a couple things that we need to let you know about there have been a couple spots become available on camp kiakaha a few of the boys couldn't make it so if you want to get in it's going to be in the next couple of weeks so you kind of need to act quickly now i've put a link to it on Talk this week so you just go onto our website click on a link and then it'll take you through to the website or alternatively, you could just email us on ironmantalk at gmail.com and you can come along to the camp. Now, obviously, trading is really important and I think it's been a great part of the camp. But to be honest, I've been working hard on the on the uh, games night. I've got, to, I've got to give about seven games and I've been planning and I've getting all the equipment ready. And tell you what, it's going to be a big night. So even if you just want to come, for, come along for games night, it's definitely worth the time. Anyway, that's uh, going to be pretty much it. Let's get into it. John's got a few interviews, and to be honest, I haven't listened to them yet. I don't know what he's doing at this stage, but here we go. Here's John right now. Okay, guys, welcome along to the second instalment from Epic Camp Italy 2008. Uh, I've been pretty woeful, to be honest, in terms of keeping up to date with some podcasts. Uh, just a little bit too busy, to be honest. But anyway, we've got a second one here. Uh, the Epic Camp podcasts are brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii for the world's best coffee. Oomph for all your triathlon uh, gear needs. Head for carbon fibre wheels, carbon fibre anything. Fuel belt for carrying all your coffee. High five for also putting into your fuel belt the best uh, sports nutrition you can buy. And Blue 70 for wetsuits and everything related to the water. Camp's actually finished now, it's Monday morning, um, most people have flown out uh, or are flying out today uh, and they're all pretty tired, I'm pretty tired as well, it's been a fantastic camp so I thought I'd just give you a quick rundown on the last few days, uh, I think day 5, uh, day 6 we left Cortina, um, for the first time in Epic Camp history that I've been involved in we actually had to load all the bikes into the van and we had to drive 55k's to the pool in a place called Brunico because it was absolutely heaving down with rain and uh, we didn't really fancy our chances of descending straight out of Cortina, being able to do a swim and run and then carry on the bike without getting hypothermia. So that was a bit of a first. Uh, nobody was making any complaints when the call was made because it was just going to be miserable. But ironically, when we got to Brunico, the weather cleared. We got in a swim, uh, registered their standards of 3k, we then did a 10km guess your time like we did in Epic Camp New Zealand uh, and unfortunately the course was a little, we didn't quite get the distance quite right but I think Douglas Scott managed to guess as close as possible, Gordo took the race out from myself 
And then we carried on and we had a fantastic ride from Brunico through to Bolzano. Went over a pass called the Paso de Herbe. Uh, didn't really look like much on the map when I drove over it the, the other day it was fantastic and when we biked over it it was everything I remembered uh, very steep in places and at the top the view was just magic like have spent so many of the views on this camp so that was a really special day I felt really good had a good 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 day broke away early on the bike with Gordo and climbed well we then dropped down into Bolzano um, nice 50k downhill to finish the ride so we were all feeling pretty good when we got there that was day 6 day 7 was always planned to be a real doozy and again it didn't disappoint the plan was to do uh, the Stelvio and the Gavier it ended up we ran out of time to do the Gavier um, we got to the top of the Stelvio it was like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon if we had carried on we probably wouldn't have got to the top of the Gavier until sort of 7.30, 8 o'clock at night uh, because we had to swim a bit late, but uh, nonetheless, it was a fantastic day. It was a really long, a really long approach to to get to the Stelvio. It took us uh, three and a half hours to get to the base of the climb, um, with quite a bit of climbing. And then the Stelvio climb, I think, was around about 25 kilometres. Um, as you start to get into the climb, uh, it doesn't give you, doesn't click away the kilometres on how many you've got to go. The first sign you see is 48 turn, uh, hairpin turns to go. Uh, so you just weave your way up through the trees. It's not not too steep, quite a gentle gradient. You're probably um, sitting between eight and up to ten percent with a few little pitches um, above that. Then all of a sudden you come out of the trees and you see the wall of stone in front of you, and that's where you see a lot of the classic pictures. And it's the road is just carved out, and there must be a good 30, 35 hairpins um, back to back and you just zigzag your way to the top uh, and you're into the snow when we actually got to the top it was snowing at the top uh, just lightly it was a very difficult climb you got, we got up to 2000, uh, over 2,700 metres so uh, you were sucking in there wasn't a lot of air to suck in Gordo caned it again got to the top first Steve was second uh, I had Molina tearing down on me in the last few Ks uh, but I managed to hold him off for third and he was fourth were a few people that did want to think about going on to the Gavier, but we pretty much put, pulled down the shutters and said uh, it wasn't going to be advisable. <clears throat> and uh, then we headed home from there. But sensational day at the top there. We all got a, a it was German sausages up the top, and uh, guys had beers, and it was very very cold. I think it was about uh, two degrees at the top. Not only Steve, Joe, Steve and Joe were the only ones to descend back down again. Uh, the rest of us all went down in the van. So that was a very cool day and a day that I think a lot of us will remember for, for a long time to come. We then, uh, next day, final day, went down to the pool. I had by far my best uh, swim of the whole camp. I uh, decided to go for an extra bonus point. Uh, the pool was a little bit cold, so most of us were wearing wetsuits. I ended up doing 10 200s on the 235, holding 225s. So I was uh, pretty wrapped with that. I was getting down to the even low 220s for some of them, so... That was really cool that on day eight I was still able to pull out by far my best swim of the camp. We also did a 5k uphill running race uh, and again it was surprising how hard we could all push when we, when we were pretty tired. We then got on the bikes and we were biking from Bolzano all the way down to uh, where are we now, Verona. Uh, it was around about 160 kilometres. The hammer was down pretty early on in the ride and things got uh, split up a bit. Unfortunately, I ended up by myself because uh, I was sort of waiting for a few people, so a bit of a lonely ride home for me. 
nonetheless, it's been a fantastic camp. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Looking forward to the, the next camp. Um, I felt I got stronger as we went through the camp, which I was thrilled about. Day after the camp now, I'm feeling absolutely fine. Uh, so I think whilst I'll still have a very easy week this week, um, I haven't put myself uh, in a big hole that I've got to dig myself out of. So it's been cool. Great bunch of people. A lot of um, the campers, uh, athletes on the camp this time were um, repeat repeats that have been on prior camps so they were well prepared and everybody was well drilled so everything went pretty smoothly we all got lost once or twice but that's part of the fun of epic camps so special thanks to the sponsors of the camp uh, they make it a lot easier for us um, uh, as you'll hear in some of the interviews coming up when we go to Pyrenees Maori Sport Ian and Julie are absolute troopers uh, they if you guys want to go and ride some, some cool climbs in France, it's a fantastic place to base yourself and they will really look after yourself and they just work and work and work for the people that come and stay with them. So they're, they're good fun. Go to PyreneesMultisport.com to check them out uh, and, and spread the word about them. John Ellis, um, I'm going to interview him for next week's show. He's our masseuse that comes on the camp and also helps out with the support duties. Uh, anybody in Christchurch, check out musclesinc.co.nz and you can get ma- uh, massages from him. And that's about it, I think. So on this podcast, I've got a fairly lengthy interview with Gordo, not just covering uh, Epic Camp, covering a few other things based on an article he wrote up on his blog. Then at the end, I've got, I think, Steve Lord and Joe Carrot. Um, They're a couple from the UK. Steve completely dominated the pink jersey, just went for it, rode very hard every day, swam well uh, and did a lot of bonus riding and a lot of bonus running so he's going home with the pink jersey and it was fully deserved nobody put him under any pressure I thought I might have on the first day but um, I had uh, I was going to stick to my plan and that was to get myself in shape the best shape I could for a road and then Joe Carrot who's a bit of a superhuman we've had, the female athletes we've had on the camps have been machines and she was much the same very interesting to watch her because on the first day she was really struggling um, with the big power surges that were going on with the, the bigger guys um, but over most of the mountain passes she was uh, generally fourth or fifth over the top uh, and the amount of running she did on this camp was just ridiculous so uh, watch out for, for her in the future, she's going to be um, one of the top top age groupers uh, very gutsy girl so also got her on there and uh, and that's about it really I'm going to put out one uh, next week I've got an interview with uh, Scott Molina backed up uh, we'll also have John Alice who's the masseuse from the camp but um, we'll probably hold that off till next week and then following that Bevan and I'll be back together in France for Camp Kia Kaha uh, I think that's about it about it So as I was saying, Gordo recently wrote on his blog a um, bit of an article on female Ironman racing and nutrition. Actually, it was it, it was it was what it was. It, it was it was a protocol for training and nutrition that uh, I felt would address what ninety five percent of the women that I work with actually want out of athletics. Maybe ninety nine percent. And I also think it's a protocol that will ultimately result in the best athletic performance over time um, for most, for nearly everybody that's out there in endurance sports, cycling, running, triathlon, the whole thing. It's just my view on the most effective protocol. Okay. So, from a coaching perspective, a lot of... Oh, let's give a plug to where it is. Where if it is. you want to go read it, you can hit pause on your... 
uh, podcast. Not you, Johnny, but the listener. Yeah. And uh, it's gordoworldoneword.com. And we can, uh, and then you go to Gblog, and it'll be from about two or three weeks ago. Cool. So, um, obviously, a, bit of a fair bit of it covers nutrition. One of the questions I've got here from one of the listeners is, what is the difference between fat burning and calorie burning? Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, uh, the you, you, you can get energy from two different sources within your body. You can burn glycogen, or you can burn fat so if you do if you go out and you just go as hard as you can for an hour most people uh, will burn a lot of glycogen and they'll burn which is carbohydrate whereas if you go out and let's say over that hour you, you go six miles okay well if instead of running the six miles you went out and you walked six miles it would take you a lot longer because mm-hmm. you're walking, but your energy composition would be different. You'd be using more fat for fuel. Mm-hmm. And when people say they want to lose weight, that's not really what they want to do. I mean, weight is sort of one way of looking at it, but in reality, what people want to do is they want to burn more fat and store less fat. And the way to burn more fat for most people is to go a little easier. Because when you do look at when we look at people in the lab, particularly uh, folks that are new to endurance training and new to athletics, they don't actually have to go that hard to shut their fat burning off. And that was really my point: is you know the a lot of particularly when you get an increase in fitness, or so either you're very fit. And you might just have a profile that enables you to do a lot of moderately hard and a lot of threshold training. Um, with a lot of people, that just burns calories. It doesn't necessarily burn fat. So if they have body composition goals, that can be counterproductive. Because a lot of intensity, you finish, and so you feel like you deserve a treat or you need to reload your glycogen. And you can be making food choices afterwards uh, that may trigger fat storage. Or you finish a really hard run, you don't have an appetite, so you're trying to lose weight. This is really common. And then you don't eat for two hours or three hours, and then you're ravenously hungry, and you have a huge meal, which uh, maybe isn't great uh, in terms of the composition, might not be great food choices. And so as a result, your insulin goes way up, and you trigger your fat storage, which is something that you're trying to avoid. So in terms of uh, athletes trying to determine those zones they should be training in those easier zones any easy methods they can go out and do it's not, other than yeah it's not easy that's another thing too steady. I think you know something I learned from Hellman's is easy training isn't easy so the top of your easy zone or the bottom of your steady zone that's sort of aerobic threshold point to, to go out and sit on that zone for, for hours or for even an hour and a half it, it gets hard eventually I think a lot of folks, when they have uh, exercise, are thinking about their training as, well, It's in order to get the most benefit, I have to be going at the highest average effort for every single session. Um, there may be something from a fitness point of view there, but ultimately I think that you, you're, you're losing consistency, and you'll find that you're never able to lose weight. Your training just makes you hungry, you're burning carbs all the time, you're never oxidizing any fat. So the question is, well, how can you determine that? Well, you can come into our lab in Boulder. You could go to some university where they have 
a quality gas exchange analyzer and you can look at your fuel composition that way. But a much better way is, I think, is you can just sort of tune in to where your breathing is. And, you know, that aerobic, again, if you go to my tips page, wordoworld.com, there's a couple articles on sort of trying to find your aerobic threshold, that first deepening of breath. And it's really, it's a comfortable, it's a comfortable training pace where you're able to talk. And for most people, particularly folks that are starting out, they can actually hit that walking um, or re a really easy jog. I mean, early in the season, I can, I can hit my aerobic threshold walking uphill. Um, and if it's a, and if it's a moderate grade, even when I'm fit, I can get there walking uphill just by power walking. Um, so that would be, you know, sort of tips. That's one of the nice things about the bike because you have gearing, you can really regulate what your intensity is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the way a lot of people go out with group rides, they start too fast, that shuts down your fat burning. Uh, they hit it hard over all the rollers. Uh, with most people, that intensity will shut down your fat burning. So a lot of folks need to sort of train themselves out of some of the habits which may be limiting their ability to burn fat. And that's what it's about ultimately for people. Are we talking sort of across the board here? If, if we're starting to look at mm, top-end age groupers, it's going to be a slightly different approach? Well, I think the it, it, top end age groupers, be a little more specific, what do you mean by that? Well, say guys around the 10 hour mark. Well, that's pretty fast. Yeah. So would I approach a different, uh, yeah, well the article was for women. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it was, it was the article was written for women and most of the women out there are in the 12 to 15 hour range. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really who I was targeting. Um, but even even some ladies, you know, I, I know elite women that say they want to lose weight. But again, it's not about losing weight. It's about body composition. It's wow. Okay, we just had a little pause there. My, uh, I, d I ignored the battery is getting low on the computer. And uh, thankfully, we didn't lose everything we just recorded. So um, we had another question about sports nutrition. Um, so I'm not sure what you wrote about that, but... It says here, does your advice um, to forget about sports nutrition until you're training over two hours in a single session apply to each triathlon leg? Um, I could imagine getting through a two-hour cycling session without um, nutrition, but there's no way I could run two hours without taking some calories on board. Okay. Well, I think uh, well, if, if, the, if the listener needs calories to get through a two-hour run, sure. I mean, go for it. Uh, but I think generally most of us, um, unless it's a high intensity type session or you're doing something where you're going to in the evening and then you got something challenging the next morning where you're going to have to back it up so you don't want to get depleted, then perhaps you're going to need to use some sports nutrition on that. But most people that are training, most working athletes, the, this whole concept of reloading, if you just eat a normal diet uh, with, say, you know, regular food across your day, you got plenty of time to reload. It's not a big deal. You don't need to be carving up all the time. Um, there's just not enough output, particularly female athletes too. I mean, this is this is where there's a big difference between male and female athletes. The ladies are not putting out that much power on the bike, so their energy requirements are a lot lower. So you know, somebody like me, my if I'm doing a challenging ride, my energy output will be double what uh, a female athlete might be doing a challenging ride. I mean, I I know elite under 23 female athletes that will average less than 100 watts uh, for an endurance ride. And that just doesn't that just doesn't take the same kind of energy as, say, me. I, I might be two and a half or more times that 
uh, for my ride um, as well. Same thing's going to apply when I'm running. You know, I'm moving a, a bigger body, uh, possibly at a higher speed. So again, I'm going to have more energy needs. So for the, I think the key thing is as much as possible, I like to get people focused on eating real food uh, and focused on making healthy choices when they're outside of training. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think ultimately that's what gets people, you know, the body that they're looking for. What about um, pro- taking protein during training? I know there's a lot of stuff out there in terms of, you know, really going hard on the protein when you finish. Um, yeah. But what about actually when you're, when you're training to set yourself up for recovery? Again, I don't, you know, I, I don't think you really need it. I mean, I, I, I use protein during training when I'm doing, you know, all my long days. But there aren't many people listening to this podcast that are going to be doing back-to-back six- to nine-hour days. Um, And there's not many people that have days in their schedule where they're not going to be able to get a couple real meals in. And for me, when I'm having to do big training or I'm out there and I'm training for a long, long period of time, uh, I don't want to go – I never want to go more than four hours without some sort of protein intake, Um, ideally every three hours. And so, yeah, that's why I do it. I do it really just for a energy intake. I don't, I, right now, I, I don't necessarily buy all the science that says you're going to get faster carbohydrate uptake if there's protein uh, in your sports drink. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me intuitively because it slows, it's going to lower the GI and it's going to slow the digestion. So I actually think what you want if you're racing is going to be no. Uh, no protein in there, no fat in there. You want to make it as easily processed uh, by your body as possible. And that comes back to things like osmolality and that. And I don't really understand all that. But the folks over at Infinite, they, you know, they understand that. And that product, having used it toe-to-toe with a lot of other products, really works for me. I mean, it took Michael... I don't know, four years to get me hooked on it, but now when I go back and forth, I I notice the difference, and particularly when I'm doing my challenging days in training. So that's the specific prep workouts for Ironman. We're getting a little off off the topic of of like the female side of it, and we're getting more towards, you know, you were talking about that elite athlete side, and then then you're getting into fueling for workouts that are over, uh, you know, two hours duration, say. Um, and that doesn't, you know, for most people, that it's only really the extreme people that are out there trying to do Ironman or doing their longest sessions for a half Ironman where that would apply. But probably most of your listeners, because most of them are going to have some big days if they're going long. Very good. Well, uh, we covered a few of the questions I had here. Um, I like some of those other ones. You, you got more okay. time for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we got there? Uh, which one? Do you pick out one you like there? Um, well, the, the, the question, there's a really good one. How do you resist the urge to be competitive with yourself or others during training if you need to stay in these easier heart rate zones? Um, I think that's a great question. All right. Um, I've coached and worked with athletes that are unable to turn off. Um, it's probably like their herd instinct. You ever watch horses? If one horse starts running, mm-hmm. all the other horses go. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's a lot of, and, and what you see in animals is, is, exists with us. I mean, just look at any race start. It's the same kind of thing. So one way to sort of avoid uh, smoking yourself all the time is I actually asked this athlete and recommended that this athlete trains with weaker athletes. 
because if you have if you can't change yourself then change your environment so for some of your key sessions if you know that normally you're gonna uh, fry yourself if you go out and try and do it with Simon Lessing then don't go out with somebody <laughs> don't go out with Simon Lessing and try and sit on his wheel but instead go out with somebody where you're stronger um, and then you can still get those psychological feelings of domination which your ego needs um, but you won't wreck yourself that's one way another way is to strip away some of the uh, gizmos and to train more on feel so some some athletes myself included so that power meter can work against you sometimes because you're always trying to beat the watts from your previous session or like a lot of people you only remember your best session power you don't necessarily remember when you were a little bit tired and your watts were a bit down or something like that um, and so in that case you can strip away and you focus more on training with effort and then the final thing and it's the same thing with nutrition or with how do you learn how to race properly you have to it's difficult uh, until achieving your goal is more important to you than the instant gratification of taking it to one of your training partners so until the larger goal is more important you'll never be able to overcome it and that's one of the neat things about trying to qualify for world champs or achieve something that's really difficult that goal that motivating factor can be high enough and the desire can be great enough to get to Kona that you're willing to change some people never get there but for a lot of people that's the difference between success and failure is the desire to get to Kona helps them change and that would be so I'd say be willing to change your attitude um, that way and just decide what's important to you and what's going to give you the greatest chance to achieve your goal okay we've got one more here um why the need to remove refined starch slash sugar after 4 p.m. Uh, and then the f- and that's part of what if you do a long training session after 4 p.m. Well, it really depends on what long is. Um, yeah, if you're you know, but if you're say two and a half hour run, well, that's pretty huge. <laughs> yeah, so if you're doing a two and a half hour run after 4 p.m., well, from a body composition point of view, the best thing to do is wake up early in the morning. Uh, have some breakfast, do your run in the morning, and have your biggest meal of the day probably after that run. So if your ultimate goal is to be a, you know, to be the best you can be, I'd say wake up early. Don't do it late at night, and then have to be really hungry and load up on carbs uh, at the end of the day. Um, I think as well, you can, you know, a lot of working athletes are going to have. So I'd say put your key session early if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got to go late, yeah, you're going to have to refuel. Um, and again, I, the reason I, I was recommending in my article to really be careful with refined starch and, and sugar, so processed food mm-hmm. and refined sugar um, after 4 p.m. is that's just a, that's the fat storage point. And that's to try and minimize the fat storage. So you're better off having a, you know, if you're hungry, have eat a lot of veggies and a lot of protein and some good fats in there but just recognize the fact that yeah you know your your food is there for fuel to enable you to do training and that's a virtuous uh cycle keep cool. training any other questions jumping out at you there uh, well the, the first one is i said it was a, an approach to maximize your performance uh, yeah i think how does it maximize your performance well there's a lot of 13 hour ironman uh athletes that if you know if they could get their nutrition together 
your body composition would change and they'd be 11 and a half hour athletes because you know if you're car I'm speaking from personal experience here uh, you know if you're if you're 185 pounds um, it's a lot tougher to get around an Ironman course than if you're 165 pounds I mean you're basically I mean, if you think about it, you're doing the marathon with your bike. I mean, bike weighs about 20 pounds. <laughs> I, I mean, it's 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 you know, and that and and to and to make those changes, you know, you gain weight. We gain weight slowly, so it's going to come off slowly too. And it, it takes takes you know months and years to make those changes. And it, because it happens so slowly, sometimes you don't see it. But that's what I mean in terms of maximizing your performance. So that's that's a that's the straight up just. You know, I don't know the physics of it. You're carrying less around, but also you're going to get sick less often, um, and you're going to feel better. When I'm on Epic Camp like this, and we're doing this massive training, the amount of sugar that we all have to eat to fuel ourselves, it it it, it really wears you down after a while because the nutritional content when you're doing a huge week of training like this is really low because you can't eat a lot of fiber and your digestion's under a lot of stress, so you're having a lot of sports nutrition. So it's not sustainable as a nutritional strategy. Colton calls it gel hell. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people, they get caught in what he calls gel hell. So they think they're being really healthy, but because they're, you know, they're having what they think what the sports nutrition companies tell them they should have. So they're having the bars and the gels and the drinks and all this sort of processed stuff, but they're not actually having all the fiber and the nutrients that you get when you eat real food. So, mm -hmm. so if you're out there, watch out for gel hell. Gel hell. Gel hell. Very good. What's the plan for Cordo for the rest of the year? What do you always like to know? Oh, I'm going to go to Vineman. I'm going to do the 70.3. I've signed up for that. That's uh, July 20th. And I think Aaron greenlighted Molina to come out to Colorado for a week with me. It's official now. <laughs> uh, so we're going to see. Yeah, so we're going to. Yeah, it's, it's not 100% official. I was asking him on the run. I said, dude, are you really coming? And he's just like, oh, I don't know. Anyhow, so, but. I'm thinking it's pretty. If you're interested, have a look at my blog, and when it is 100% official, it will come out. But that starts two weeks after uh, Epic, so two weeks from this Saturday. We're going to go for a week. If there's any sub-10 athletes out there that want to come along, drop me an email. Um, it'll be seven days, very solid altitude training camp. Um, you know, let's see. And then, uh, and then after Vineman, I got to decide if I want to go do Canada or not. Uh, things are going well. But I gotta tell you, it's um, it's hard. You know, the, <laughs> when you get fit, to actually try and stay fit and to get um, to maintain your mental motivation to do this bike training that's required, um, there's probably only a few times in your life you're going to be able to pull it off. I think the athletes that have been able to do it for a long time, you know, like Mark Allen and Dave Scott and Peter Rita and Tim DeBoom, a lot of respect to those guys for being able to work that hard for that many years. Paula. Dave City, but Camp Soft. We need to harden up. Dave? Yeah, we interviewed him the other day. Yeah, he, he doesn't know anything about Epic. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he, I wouldn't call Dave Soft, but it, it, he was he was never a high-volume guy. He's, he's about going fast. <laughs> cool. Good luck with the rest of the camp, and uh, we'll catch up with you some stage later in the year. Okay, thanks, man. So the camp is now officially over, it's uh, Monday morning after the camp and I've done pretty miserably at keeping up with these blogs, but um, these podcasts, but I've got the pink jersey winner who dominated from day one, Stephen Lord with me from the UK, 
So with all the people I have a chat to or Bevan has a chat to, we like to get the vital statistics first. So age, occupation, uh, anything else about yourself? Well, I've, I've just gone 39. Um, I'm currently a full-time uh, amateur triathlete because I was made redundant just before Christmas, which was a good thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing full-time training nice. for this year. Um, and where do you live? I live in uh, very central London, about as central as you can get. Okay. So if people have been following the blogs, um, they will have sort of seen your exploits during camp, but I'm really interested to know what your, if you, if you think back to you know, last Saturday, what your expectations of, were of the camp when, when you arrived and what you were hoping to achieve during the week? Um, well, I guess for the camp, I, I mean, I, I do quite high volume training, so um, I've been discussing it with Joel, my, my girlfriend who's here with me, and um, we we both felt that the volume wouldn't be the issue, but the um, intensity would be. Right. And certainly, it's the fastest or hardest weeks cycling I've done. Um, and I guess I, I I had no intentions at all of going for the points jersey <laughs> before that first day. I guess I I thought if it was right on the first day, I would bust a gut to get it yeah. for one day. Yeah. And there was the opportunity on the first day, and then after that, that the whole system here just makes you. <laughs> keep wanting to go for more so yeah it was great yeah and when you look back on the camp now that we've, we've done eight days was it what you expected was it was it very different um, um well well i think it was i think it was pretty close to what i what i expected in fact i, I think i probably got more done yeah. than i than i expected i would um i hadn't realized the 12 hour rule but i think that was <laughs> I think that saved me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there was a few occasions where I would have gone on for 200k rides, and actually it was just quickly sneak it in. But it also made it very interesting in that there was a few occasions where, you know, I had to tag on say 15 kilometres, and I had very limited time. Yeah. So it wasn't that I could just poodle up the road to do it. I had to time trial to get it done. And then there was always there always seemed to be someone waiting at the hotel, <laughs> looking at their watch and saying, mm, "Looks like you've done it by 30 seconds." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... And um, in terms of the camp, what was your favourite day? Um, well, the Stelvio was, was a bit of a classic, but I have to admit, I, I liked the day out of Trento, um, when I think we all got lost. But yeah. I, I actually, I, I quite like the fact that, I guess this is one thing I hadn't expected, it felt to me a bit like um, how I imagine a stage race. Yeah. So each day you were starting out thinking, so for instance on that day out of Trento, I was... I was quite determined to try and get some King of the Mountains points. I thought my best bet was to go with Gordo when he when he yeah. broke, and I managed to. Yeah. So I was absolutely gutted <laughs> when we got lost and you guys came steaming through. I'd lost all the lead I'd managed to make. <laughs> so I think that was probably my favourite day, the Marmalada and, what was it, uh, Degas? Yeah. yeah. No, that was, uh, <clears throat> that was a tough day at the office. So in terms of your, your racing for the rest of this year, what have you got on the agenda? So I've got... Just under three weeks from now, I'm in Germany, mm-hmm. and then um, I'm in Wisconsin, and then Kona. Mm. So. Okay. So you, you you talk about you got made redundant. Um, how long are you going to give yourself in terms of um, sort of giving triathlon as good a crack or Ironman as good a crack as you can? Um, well, definitely through to Kona. I'd always had this thought that I would take try and take a year out when I was forty, which is next year. So it sort of happened a year earlier. Um, so I'm kind of trying to suss out how to just make ends meet for another year. So after Kona, I'm going to try and qualify as a bike mechanic. And then there is a poss- there's a serious possibility we might come out to New Zealand in the new year. So I'm yeah. doing Ironman New Zealand again and try and get a decent block of training there. So if I can afford it, possibly 
epic New Zealand next year if I can. Nice. Oh, well, we've got to get you to the airport, so you've certainly kept everybody honest on this camp, and we love it when people go for it, and you certainly have. So the key thing now is make sure you cover for your next race. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thanks for keeping us entertained, and we're happy that you're going home with an extra jersey. Yes, I'm so Very proud of it. <laughs> cool. Thank you. So the other part of the Iron Couple was Joe Carrot. We've had a few females on the camps over the years and they've always been pretty tough and uh, Joe certainly kept up that tradition with the camps. So welcome along to the show, Joe. Hey there. Um, tell us your <clears throat> vital statistics. We've had uh, the boyfriend on first, but uh, occupation, where you live, age, how long have you been on triathlon? Okay, well I'm living in London. Mm-hmm. Been living there for 12 years. I'm a structural engineer. There's an occupation, though this year, since January, I've been working four-day week rather yep. than the full five. So I like bank holidays so much, I thought nice. I'd buy myself a few more of those. Good. Um, obviously, the idea was to focus a little bit more on triathlon training. I've been competing as a triathlete for four years. The first three of those were Olympic distance, sprint distance, just getting into it. Nice. And uh, decided to step up. Because of Steve, really, meeting Steve when he's yeah. doing Ironman, I thought I'd have a go at that last yeah. year. Nice. So I did three Ironman last year. And what got you into triathlon? Um, just a couple of mad mates of mine that I was yeah. climbing with. We decided to get fit so we could climb for longer. Yeah. Uh, did a few running events, a bit across the country, a few of those sort of grim challenge, tough guy sort yeah. of things. And then the next thing was, yeah, let's do the London triathlon and yeah. got ourselves bikes and... Uh, Wetsuits and never look back. Good. Um, And I asked Steve the same question, and I think I've asked everybody this. What were your sort of expectations coming into the camp, and and what were you hoping to achieve when you sort of sit back here on Monday and before the camp, if you thought forward to this day, what would you have gone, yeah, I ticked all those boxes and this is what I wanted to do? Well, my, uh, I was pretty... Overwhelmed, well, intimidated is the word, yeah. like the whole epic camp thing. So my expectation was just about be able to hang on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a little <clears> bit of email correspondence with Tyrone Norton before coming out. Yeah, she was yeah. like, just do your thing, try and get all the sessions completed through the week. So yeah. that was my objective. Yeah, good solid week, swimming every day. Yeah, some forced runs and stuff like that. I thought, yeah, wouldn't do me any harm. You did a lot of running on this camp. Did a lot of running on this camp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I was interested to know what's, what was going through your mind after day one because you're, you're a small person and you probably struggle a little bit more than the bigger guys in the wind and on the first day it's what I call dick measuring day on Epic Camp and there's a lot of surging, there's a lot of attacks and people are just going for it and you struggled a little bit on that first day but you certainly came back and showed everybody who was boss on the following days Once you during that first day what was sort of going through your mind when you were sort of popping off the back once or twice? Well I, I was... That was pretty much what I'd expected for the whole week. Yeah. Um, what was really nice is there was a lot of people making positive comments to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're fine, don't worry about it. Um, Johnny, one of the guys, actually hung back for me. Yeah, yeah. Rode, rode with me. Yeah. Um, suffered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ended up regretting it, I think. He was yeah. uh, doing a lot of wheel hanging by the end of that ride. Yeah. Um, so that everyone was pretty positive and encouraging and sort of promised me, you know, when we get the hill, yeah. you know, you'll get your own back. So, you know, I can handle being off the back. Yeah. I, I don't mind that. Of course, I'm weaker on the flats, yeah. you know. That's, that's cool. 
So you finished high up in the classification. I think you were... The, the, the committee tend to change the rules a bit as we go along, so you're slightly disadvantaged there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you don't say. <laughs> the committee sometimes tend to throw out a few races here and there and a few swim events, but, you know, it's, that's, that's part of Epic Camp. So uh, in terms of your, your favourite day of the camp? Um, I enjoyed Scott's surprise. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, terrible yeah. weather. Um, a few of us took on... Straight claim that Ravada or whatever it was. Yeah. So that was a really big hit in thunder and lightning. Yeah. Um, that was a climb that was quite close to Cortina. They quite often use it in the the Giro, and it was what was it, probably about seven k, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, had pitches of about twenty percent in it, and consistently well over ten, wasn't it? So it was. It was fantastic. I'm very hard work. I was pretty tired that day. Yeah. Because the previous day we'd done the two King Mountain yeah. climbs, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Which I think maybe that was also, I mean I was on form that day so I had a great day mm. that day, but the, the four of us going up in that shocking weather with sort of lightning, mm. thunder, cracking between the, the peaks and <laughs> the fact that nobody else was up there, Yeah, you, you know, that was, that was just a nice sort of feeling. Yeah. You know. And plans for the rest of the season for you? Um, well, coming up fairly soon we've got Ironman Germany, mm-hmm. uh, three weeks, three weeks. Now, yeah, so plan is to go very fast there yeah <laughs> um, and then few few sort of British Olympic races through the summer in preparation for Wisconsin which is probably my key race of the season nice um, what's a, a typical sort of volume everybody always likes to know what sort of training volume Epic campers do so typical sort of week roughly how many swims how many bikes how many runs and sort of okay. yeah um, I'm, ten, I'm getting about between 25 and 30 hours a week. So a 30 hour yeah. week is a big week, and I might do two of those <coughs> in a row, then knock down to 25. Yeah, but camp's just a walk in the park then, just tag yeah, on just, a little just bit. Double <laughs> just double it. Just double it. Piece of cake. Oh, very good. Well, we've got to get you guys to the airport, so yeah. thanks for your time. And uh, did an awesome job on the camp, and it was a pleasure having you here, and uh, good luck for the rest of the right. season. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the experience. So, well, there you go. It's uh, the end of Epic Camp Italy. John was saying he's feeling, he sent me through an email right now and he said he's feeling pretty strong. He's swimming, I think he's doing something like 10 times 200 on 220 or something. So, man, if he's doing that, oh, he's smacking it. And he's saying he's feeling ultra strong on the bike and running's about the same as where he's at. So, um, he's obviously in pretty good stead for a road. Ironman Talk is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com. Now, we had a few, mail, a few emails through recently saying, was there any discount for you guys when you go to Coffees of Hawaii? Now, we've put a link on Talk, and there's, I think it's a 20% discount when you buy your products. If you put in, uh, I think the code is IMTALK. But before you do that, go to Talk and check out on, on their ad on our page they have the discount code so when you're getting any of the great coffee from Coffees of Hawaii, go to that link and uh, put that in for your code and it'll save you 20% on your um, buy again, I could be wrong on the 20% <laughs> I probably should have done a bit of a few more of my peas on this one but hey, you're going to get a deal either way and again, Coffees of Hawaii is the world's best coffee from one of the world's best locations and they're doing it ethically and they're doing great things for their community and our community so get out there and support them uh, we have athlinks.com again, go on there and get all your gear tell you what, so I got my shoes from athlinks.com not so long ago and I tell you what, I'm loving my shoes and you know what, I'm a bit of a fashion kind of geek in a way and 
because I've got my Genius bike, and my Genius bike is based, it's white, and there's some black stripes, and some red stripes in it, and I subconsciously, I don't know how I did this, but subconsciously, I obviously chose the shoes that picked the bike, because I was riding on a bike the other day, and I had my cool, my cool Epic Gimp gear on from a couple of years ago, and I had, and it was by coincidence, white, black, and red, and then I had my cool shoes matching the bike, and obviously, well, I was fashion. Admittedly, it wasn't the best ride, but it didn't matter because I looked cool, and sometimes that's all you need. So there was uh, <laughs> tri-buys. I don't know how that it has anything to do with tri-buys, just the fact that I look cool. But if you want to get your gear, get on there. They've got a huge range of gear. And one thing to be aware of, because I'm sure a few of you guys out there actually get out on the mountain bike occasionally and you know ride other kind of rides and stuff like that. And tri-buys actually have some exterior gear. So if you want to do some gear for when you're doing your mountain biking, check out that gear on there as well. So that's uh, trybuys.com. And lastly, athlinks.com. Um, I've been pretty active on that recently. I've been going on there every day and checking out what everyone's up to. Good way to keep in contact with your mates. And one thing that's been really cool with Athlinks is to ride onto your wall so that your mates see what you're up to and you can kind of keep in contact with your mates as well. A few people have been riding on my wall and I've been riding on a few people's walls as well. And it's just a great way to kind of communicate to your group. So, for example, if I write you an email, only you and I see it. But if I write on your wall, then everyone in your group can see what we're up to. And obviously the different kind of messages will go in different places, but it's kind of fun to give a bit of banter. So think about you writing on your mates' walls. Also join up to the Ironman Talk group, and we've noticed a lot more people doing that recently, so keep that up. And if you want to go on to this week's discussion, which was should Ironman be an Olympic sport, um, you know, feel free to go on to Athlinks and find the link on there. If you're unsure of where to find that link as well, just go to www.ironmantalk.com and there's a link to that underneath discussion of the week. So three sponsors, they are coffeesofhawaii.com, trybuys.com and athlinks.com. So it was now about, I'm going to be going to Europe pretty much a maybe 10 days from now, it's not long to Camp Kiakaha, I'm looking forward to that, um, I, I've pretty much got one more big week of training and then I start my taper for Rote, or kind of my taper because Camp Kiakaha is going to be a part of that, but um, I'm going to do a 200k ride on Friday and then Shauno the Porno and I are doing the Mali Porno World Championship Half Ironman um, on that said day, so as Porno was saying, we're both guaranteed a podium spot because it's just the two of us, but hey, still, it's pretty legendary. Uh, so that's coming up this weekend, I'm going to do my half Ironman simulation, still feeling really great with my training, I'm riding really well, swimming probably is as good as I normally do leading into a race considering how much time I've had to swim and I think the thing for me is I'm running really really well, I'm not tired when I'm running and I'm, I was doing a lot of uh, cold baths, I'm using my skin compression pants a lot and I'm getting yoga in, that Yoga Amazing podcast which John and I have talked about a few times, I'm getting in about four or five sessions of that a week and I'm noticing just by being consistent with those things, uh, my recovery of my body is feeling pretty good. Uh, also, making sure I'm getting to bed early at night now. So normally, when I'm not training, uh, to this extent, I normally go to bed about 11.30, 12. Uh, recently, I've been hitting bed about 10.30, and I've decided over the last couple, over this next couple of weeks, I'm going to go to bed at 9.30. So last night, I was asleep at 9.30, and uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, looking forward to getting to Europe. Yeah, other than that, what else is there to say? Not much really, not much at all, other than it's going to be a pretty awesome time at Camp Kekaha, then running of the bulls, then rote, 
Uh, yeah. Next week's show is going to be pretty much back to normal. Well, we're going to try doing a phone interview show with John, John, and then the week after that we'll be in Camp Kekaha, so it'll be kind of back to normal again in a strange kind of way. I know these last couple of weeks haven't been ideal, but we're trying our best to get the good show out to you, so enjoy this week's show. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's show, and bring on next week. So anyway, here we go. We go, I am Russ. I am Mendon. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.